This is Novel Marketing, the show for novelists who aren't necessarily fond of marketing, but still want to become best-selling authors. Episode 142. I'm James L. Rubart, but you can call me Jim. I'm Thomas Umstead Jr. And in this episode, we're going to talk to you guys about how to develop marketing assets. And for those of you who are saying, what the heck does that mean? We're going to get into detail about that. Um, Thomas, anything going on in your life that's big and exciting and new before we do get to that? So we're pre-recording these episodes before I head to Hawaii. Yes. <laughs> so uh, I'm not planning on doing any podcasting from Hawaii. Uh, no offense, but I'm planning to, I'm actually speaking at a conference there for like four hours or five hours every day. So I'm not, you're not, you're not, oh, you're speaking for some reason. I thought you were participating in the, the surfing contest going yeah, on. Yeah, that, that would be hilarious. <laughs> uh, it would be maybe a comedy surfing contest. Somebody falls on his face uh, on, in the water, but uh, is that yeah, something you've, is that something you've ever wanted to try is surfing Thomas? I, I like the idea of being good at surfing, but not enough to go through the dip of learning how to surf. <laughs> So I've, I've never really desired to learn how to do that. I'm, I'm much happier in the mountains hiking in the woods than I am on a beach. Gotcha. Gotcha. I'll tell I did. I actually one time when Darcy and I went to Hawaii, I did learn to surf and absolutely loved it. It's something that I would definitely do if I lived closer to a place where we could get waves. And those of you, the the, the two of you out there who all are also interested in surfing, I just watched a great documentary on Laird Hamilton. And if you know that name, then you know he is like the ultra big wave surfer. He really invented the sport within the subgenre within surfing. So if you are, are interested in that, truly a great documentary. So anyway, that being said, Thomas, let's talk about how our listeners can develop their marketing assets. Yeah. So when it comes to putting together a marketing strategy, one of the first steps is to develop your assets and liabilities. And this is perfectly exemplified in The Princess Bride. I always like to mention The Princess Bride. Have to. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So Wesley was down in the pit of despair. He's died. They're rescuing him and they bring him back with Miracle Max's Miracle Pill and uh, he's like, what's going on? And it's like, well, your wife is getting, or your your love is getting married in 30 minutes. We have to break into the castle and there's but one working gate. And he's like, what are our assets? What are our liabilities? <laughs> he's like, well, we have, you know, physics strength, my steel and your brains. He's like, what are our liabilities? And he's like, well, there's 60 men. And <laughs> guarding one- the castle gate. <laughs> yeah. And he's like, impossible. If only we had a wheelbarrow. It's like, what do we do with the wheelbarrow the albino had? He's like, oh, it's what the albino, I think. It's like, <laughs> why didn't you list that among our assets in the first place? And I feel like many authors are like that team. They have assets that they don't realize that they have. And as you realize what your assets are, and as you learn how to develop assets, it helps you put together a solid marketing strategy to sell more books. So I want to talk about assets here. But first, I think we should talk about liabilities. What are the things that keep you from being able to sell more books? Uh, So the first liability that I think really hurts authors is having other priorities. (laughs) So uh, not making time to market their books. That's a, boy, that's a nice way of saying they like to binge on their Netflix series. And <laughs> I like that, Thomas. Right. So it could be something. So Netflix is easy to pick on, right? It's like, you know, calculate how many hours of Netflix you watch each week. But these other priorities could be other things that are important, like having a day job or having a, a family. And Family, sure. Right. So um, how to manage those priorities and you know, when to write and when to market. Uh, this is a really big piece of it. And we've talked about this in the past, but just tracking what you spend your time on. Uh, you know, a lot of people spend far more time on their phones than they realize, both Android and 
Apple are coming out with new features where you, you can get a report on how much time you spent on your phone. You may be shocked <laughs> that the amount of time you spent on your phone is way higher than you think it is. And just knowing what those priorities are. If you look at somebody's calendar of how they spent their day yesterday, and if you look at somebody's bank book, you can know what their priorities are. And if you want to be successful with writing and with marketing, you've got to make it a priority. There's just no other way. Uh, no one accidentally became <laughs> successful at writing while doing something else, uh, except for maybe running for president. I feel like every presidential candidate has a best-selling book, but <laughs> <laughs> more a result of all of the marketing that they're doing for their presidential run. Um, another uh, liability is fear. Uh, Jim, what does that look like as somebody is being held back by fear? Oh my gosh, there's so many things that come into fear. Fear that I don't have anything really to say, so I'm not going to really push this book. I wrote the book, but gosh, I really don't believe in it that much. Or if I push it, people are going to be offended by me pushing it. I might have fear of failure, but I also might have fear of success. What does that look like? I'm an introvert. I don't want to be in the spotlight. I mean, there's so many fears that stop us from writing. I'm right as we do this podcast, I am right in the final stage stages of my latest manuscript. And I'll just be honest with you guys. Um, this book has been hard. And, and I've just thought, can I really do this? Can I really write? It's like, Jim, you've done nine books before and best-selling award-winning. What is wrong with you? And yet I'm telling you that fear comes in and says, wow, I can't do a good job with my writing and I can't do a good job marketing, no matter how long you've done it. It's just a reality. Fear is going to be, it is going to be there. And it's something that you can overcome. It's an indication that you're heading in the right direction. In fact, if you're not facing any fear at all, you're arguably not doing art anymore <laughs> uh, because the whole essence of art is battling with that fear. That's right. That's right. Another liability is debt. And you may be thinking I'm talking about some sort of like metaphysical debt. No, I'm talking about credit card debt <laughs> or a, a home loan or a car loan. The more debt you have, the harder it is to build your other assets. In fact, in accounting, uh, debt uh, and assets uh, pull against each other, so to speak. So your uh, liabilities pull against your assets. So if you have you know, $100,000 of cash, but $80,000 worth of uh, liabilities or debt, you only have $20,000 of equity. And um, getting out of debt is really key to being able to have a strong foundation to build assets. And this isn't the like money management show. Uh, so I don't want to talk too much about that. But I will say Dave Ramsey is like the guru for getting out of debt. If you're struggling with debt, Dave Ramsey has a very, very workable plan that will help uh, help with that. So uh, and he has a podcast, I think. <laughs> so if you're uh, struggling with debt, uh, you know, when you're done listening to this podcast, you can subscribe to his uh, just do a search for Dave Ramsey. And uh, we'll have a link to that in the show notes. Um, Another liability is uh, negative self-talk. So if you're if you tell yourself I'm not a techie person, that is a liability because that keeps you from learning technology as quickly. Uh, that identity, if you take on the identity of not a techie person, that's a huge liability. And instead, I would just say change that self-talk to I'm somebody who has a lot to learn about technology because that's an enabling self-talk. Suddenly, if you have a lot to learn, you can learn, you can change, you can become better. But if you're not a techie person, that's something that will never change if that's your identity. And that really holds you back because you know what? The world is digital now. You go to a bookstore, it's digital. You buy online, it's digital. You've got to learn to be a, a techie person and you can't. My 89-year-old grandmother is on Facebook. <laughs> uh, she tweets or she, she Facebooks and she sends emails and she plays Candy Crush. If she can do it, you can do it. 
uh, you have no excuse. Yeah. A million years ago, I was at this basketball camp. Uh, really, I was really into basketball when I was younger and it was the Northwest basketball camp. And this is the first time I encountered this saying, and it's very simple, but it's very true. And the saying was, if you believe you can, or you believe you can't, you're probably right. And that is so true. What we believe, what we see, we manifest and the power of our minds is just, you know, insane. For example, the placebo effect, we can create in our mind that this pill is relieving my pain when all it is, is a sugar pill. So it shows you that's just one example of the power of beliefs. And so Thomas is so right. If you say to yourself, you know what? I can be good at marketing. In fact, I can be great at marketing and I can learn this stuff. I can understand it. It's going to be great. That shapes so much of what you will, uh, whether you will succeed or not. So the negative belief, oh my gosh, rewire the brain, cut the negative talk. It's also really important from a sales perspective because uh, sales 101 is you have to believe in what you're selling. If if you're selling uh, cars and you don't think that the car that you're selling is a good car, people will pick up on that belief and they're not going to want to buy a car from you. And so having a good product to sell is required. <laughs> you have to believe in your own product. And for you as an author, your product is your book. And it's also you as a brand, you as an author, and you've got to have some belief that what you have to offer is valuable. And if you don't believe your book is valuable, then that is a huge liability. Fortunately is all of these liabilities are overcomable. <laughs> you can overcome these. Uh, so the next uh, liability is toxic relationships. This affects our nonfiction folks more than our fiction folks. But if you have toxic relationships, toxic people around you, that's a liability, especially if you're writing a memoir. Because if you're like, oh, my memoir is going to hurt my mom's feelings. I don't want to promote it. And that's a huge liability. <laughs> it's going to make it really hard to make your book successful. And then the there are more liabilities in this, but the final liability I'd say is physical impediment or physical health. So if you're struggling with health challenges, that makes everything else harder. It doesn't mean that you can't be successful. And there's a lot of authors who have health challenges, but the better your health is, the easier it is uh, to market your book. So let's talk about assets. Uh, we talked about the liabilities. Now let's talk about assets. The uh, big uh, first asset is a position of influence. If you're a pastor or a CEO or president of the United States, you are going to have an easier way about it. So uh, every president of the United States, after they were president, wrote has written a book uh, or worked with a ghostwriter to write a book about their time in office. And I think it's always a number one bestselling uh, book. <laughs> so it's number one on the New York Times list. So how, what's a guaranteed way to become a New York Times bestseller? Easy. Just become president of the United become States. The president. <laughs> So, but obviously that's a bit hyperbolic, right? Most of us are not going to become uh, president. And if you do, be if any of you listeners become president, Jim and I both separately want a uh, to visit the White House or, or together. So <laughs> hook us up with that. Um, yeah, yeah, we'll but, go together. It's that's yeah, fine. Yeah, we'll, go, we'll go together. Um, but other positions of influence can help, right? Are you the leader of a writers group? Uh, that can help. Are you uh, the leader of a meetup group on your topic if you're writing nonfiction? Positions of influence uh, can help. Another asset is a website. Well, just a second, real quick, Thomas, position of influence, you might be in that position, but a lot of you're saying, yeah, but I'm not in that position, guys. What do I do? Well, you know somebody who is in a position of influence. And we talked on a uh, an episode a few episodes back about how do you get to those people of influence that you want to that you don't even know. However, there are people you probably know that you don't think of as having significant influence. We tend to think, oh, if I could get this best-selling author to endorse my book, that's the influence. And we're saying, no, it doesn't have to be authors. It can be people 
in positions of influence that you might not necessarily have thought of. For example, one of the things I did with my first book is I found some very well-known and popular musicians to endorse my book, right? In the same area of art, but they're on the music side. And I don't think a lot of people have gone after that. Some of you might say, oh my gosh, I know this musician. I could work out some kind of deal where we cross-promote our albums and our books. So think outside the box when you're thinking in terms of people who could be influencers for you. Yeah, a great example of this is Tom Clancy. No one knew who he was until Ronald Reagan let it slip that he was reading Tom Clancy's book. And suddenly Tom, everyone's like, who's Tom Clancy? I want to read his books. And then they checked out his books and the rest is history. <laughs> They're making new, new Netflix movies about his books even now. Um, so yeah, if, you don't have to be a, a position of influence. And I do want to say, as we go through these other assets, this is not a list of things you have to do all of these. I, I could give you an example on almost every one of these of somebody who became a best-selling author by using one of these assets alone. Uh, and that's all they had was just the, so uh, for instance, positive relationships. I was working with a author to launch a book and put together a book launch plan. And he was a pastor but the main way that we sold and we sold out his book. So he was traditionally published and we sold out the whole print run. And the way that we did it was we, I worked with him to reach out to his pastor friends and had the, his pastor friends recommend his book all on the same day to, uh, to their congregations. And it just sold out like crazy. Uh, and so th- this strategy alone can work, but if you don't have uh, positive relationships with influential people, you can still be successful using one of these other assets. So it's, it's about building the ass on the assets you have. And I will say, don't sort of do all of these. <laughs> it's better to dig one well, a thousand feet deep than it is to dig a thousand wells, one foot deep. So with that said, a website is another asset that helps make all of your marketing easier. It helps because uh, it gives you your blog a place to live, which is another asset. If you have a podcast, it gives that a place to live, which is another asset. If you have an email list, which is a huge asset, right? The bigger your email list, the more books you're going to sell. Uh, how do you build an email list with a website? Uh, so a website is an asset that helps generate other assets. If you are a farmer, it's the cow that gives birth to baby calves, <laughs> right? It's the uh, it's the fertile <laughs> cow. And if you don't have it, and it fertilizes the field, like it's it's great, right? It's a real. It's one of those things that almost every author needs. Um, so a website is an asset, and then connected to that, blogs, podcasts, email lists. These are all assets alone. They're not going to make you successful. Uh, well, actually, email lists potentially could, uh, but they work really well in regards to all of the other assets. And one thing to keep in mind is we're talking about these assets. These are assets that you probably already have or don't have. To Thomas's point, you don't don't feel like you have to go out and create. Oh my gosh, I got to create this asset and this asset and this asset. If you hate blogging. Don't blog. There are other ways to do it, but you might say, well, I really like blogging. I really enjoy it. Even that enthusiasm for that particular task is a definite asset. That's right. And some of these assets are more valuable than others, which leads us into our next asset, which is social media following. So uh, we've heard, we have an email that goes out. If you're on the Novel Marketing Drip email sequence, if you sign up to become a Novel Marketing Insider, which is free, you can we send out emails on how to become a best-selling author. You can do that at novelmarketing.com. One of those emails, we ask you what your biggest marketing pet peeve is. And people's marketing pet peeve is social media. It's like the number one pet peeve other than like generic. I dislike marketing in general. And I, we're probably going to do an episode at some point in the future on why you don't need to do social media. 
Uh, and I'll just say it. You don't need to do social media. You can be a totally successful New York Times bestselling author with no social media following. In fact, that is the ape way to play it. I don't think Apple has a Twitter account. Apple doesn't do social media. The Queen of England doesn't have a social media account, nor does any of the royal family, right? The real way to do social media is to live your life in such a way where other people do social media on your behalf. That said, if you have a big social media following that's active and engaged, especially on some of the more valuable networks like Instagram uh, or Reddit uh, or you know Twitter and Facebook to a lesser degree, that's an asset. That's something you can build on. If you have you know, you know 500 people who retweet your tweets every time you send out a tweet, that really can help you sell some books. So having an active, engaged uh, social media following is an asset. Uh, if you don't have it now, I wouldn't necessarily say that this is the first place to get started growing it, a growing one, because it's a lot harder to get started on Twitter than it used to be, and it's not as valuable. In fact, Twitter is not that popular of a social network right now. Reddit is more popular than Twitter. <laughs> so we can talk about why that is in a different episode. But this is an asset, and it's one that you may be surprised. Some people are just naturally good at social media, and they enjoy it. And those people are, are the ones who are able to build this uh, asset actively. Yeah. And again, the key word is enjoy it. <laughs> Do you really enjoy doing it? That's, that's what's going to sustain it. We've, we've seen a lot of authors over the year goes, go, okay, I'm going to do this. I'm going to do this because I, I should do this. But then eventually they're, well, not eventually, really soon their enthusiasm wanes and they've put a lot of time and energy into something that they've stopped planting seeds and they've even stopped, stopped harvesting. So think about that before you dive in, which one do you really enjoy doing? That's right. Uh, another asset that can be very powerful is a YouTube following. If you've got a YouTube channel, uh, that can be very powerful. In fact, when we were at the Amazon bookstore, uh, some of the books that I saw were from YouTubers. <laughs> they were famous YouTubers and they wrote books and they were there listed in YouTube or in the Amazon store, the physical bookstore. So this is an asset. If you enjoy being on camera, if you're good at this, this can be very powerful at helping you sell books. Uh, another huge asset is having already written books. Jim, you know a thing or two about this. What is this like? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, isn't that that's the the ultimate catch twenty two, isn't it? Because if you look at statistics, you'll see that just a huge number of readers. The reason they choose a book is because they read something previous by that author. But um, let's extend that a little bit. If you have written books, and especially if you're indie published, and I'm discovering this right now, because suddenly I'm an indie published author with, with my first three novels, I can control all these things in the back of my book. And I can send you places or try to send you places, whereas before my traditional publisher had control of all of that. And so if I have previous books, suddenly I have a vehicle that I can promote my other books, I can promote my website, my newsletter, all these things that I could not not used before. So uh, Jim Bell, James Scott Bell, who has been on this program, his big marketing uh, push, and he's done it extremely well, is, boy, get more quality content out there. So those of you who have been laboring over a book for years and years and years, one of the pieces of advice we'd tell you is go on, write another book, write another short story, continue to develop con content, because the more books you have out there, the more books are out there promoting your other books. And think about when you first discovered this podcast. Did you just download the most recent episode or did you go back and download a whole bunch of different episodes that caught your fancy? 
your books are the same way. Once you discover an author that you love, good, there's a good chance you're going to go back and discover their other books. And so your books promote each other. They're all allies. <laughs> uh, you know, why go to war by yourself and you can go to war with allies? So the more books you write, uh, the more books you sell. And uh, learning to write quickly and writing a lot of books really does help. And if you've just written one book uh, or you're working on your first book, just realize that this is one of those games that the longer you play it, the more you win. So it takes persistence and it takes work. Um, you know, people with assets tend to get more assets. And the easiest asset is your book itself in all of the previous books that you've written. Uh, another asset uh, to go a little more metaphysical here is your health or your energy. Uh, so uh, if you're a healthy person, you may be like, man, I don't have these other things, but at least I have a lot of energy. That is a great asset. You can, it helps you with blogging. It helps you, you know, with all these other aspects. If you have the energy to put into it, if you have the health uh, to put into it. Uh, another asset, something like a reliable laptop, right? If you have an unreliable computer, and you're never sure if it's going to work, that is a huge liability. On the other hand, an asset you may not be appreciating is your laptop. You realize that with your laptop, you can create YouTube videos and podcasts and blogs and email lists. Like, that is a really useful asset, and uh, it really helps. Like If you have to go to the library to write on your book, it just makes things harder. So some of this is being appreciative of the things that you already have, and your laptop in front of you is really, really useful. And on that same vein, your smartphone is a really powerful asset. Your smartphone has more power in it than what sent uh, astronauts to the moon. <laughs> and I, I remember I was um, live streaming a political protest I was at or pr political rally I was at. And uh, I was able to reach hundreds of people live and like talk to them. And I had like an entire news station in my pocket. <laughs> I was able to like flip it around and talk to people and, and interact and people were watching from all over the country. And I was like, this is so powerful. And it's like how often for whatever reason, going back to the liabilities, like fear, we don't do that. We don't live stream. Uh, we don't t put to use this asset that we have of this un unbelievably powerful uh, device that we have in our pockets. It's also an asset when it comes to learning, right? Loading it up with podcasts, educational materials to learn how uh, to promote and market your books. Uh, another uh, asset is speaking opportunities. Uh, this is more for nonfiction than for fiction, but it helps for anyone. If you're on stage, this is an asset that helps you uh, sell more books and uh Jim, you, you do this a lot. What, how do you promote your fiction with your speaking opportunities? Well, I've very consciously built into a lot of my books topics that I can speak on. And, and honestly, if you've heard me, uh, my inspirational speaking, you're, some of you are going, yeah, I know that was in the book and I just read that and that's cool and the way it cross promotes. So I actually consciously as a marketing guy have, I cross promote my speaking, promotes my books and my books promote my speaking. And one of the things that a lot of right radio people who interview me on the radio say, we love having you on because you, you actually don't talk about your story. You don't talk about the book. You talk about these greater themes that happen to be in the book. And these greater themes are uh, applicable, whether they're fiction writer readers or nonfiction readers. And so consequently, by focusing not on my stories, but focusing on the themes I, I, I become an engaging someone that's engaging to, to interview or somebody that's engaging to keynote. So if you have a speaking ability, that can be a huge asset. And I've said, said this on the show before, but if I keynote at a conference, for example, instead of just doing a workshop, I, I get 30 to 40% more sales of books. So it just shows you how powerful being 
a speaker can be. And if, uh, and I'm a, I'm big on this. If you enjoy speaking or if you're thinking, wow, maybe I could enjoy speaking, this can be one of the most powerful ways for you to sell more books. So I'd encourage you to pursue it. The final asset is in a sense, the king of all assets. Uh, and that is just cash money. Uh, there's a sense that wealthy people have an advantage in publishing. And it's true because they can buy advertising. They can buy a better website. They can uh, buy a more, they can buy assistance. Yeah, they can buy assistance. They can buy. Cause one of the, one of the, one of the liabilities is, as Thomas said, is time. Sometimes it's not that you're wasting time. It's that you simply don't have it. Somebody with cash can hire a virtual assistant to do a lot of things that a lot of people could do. And I love Thomas's saying, you hire out the things that you can't do. Uh, how does the saying go, Thomas? Remind me of how you say that. Only do what only you can do. Delegate the rest. Yes. It's a Thank thing you. from my dad, actually. It's something he would often tell me when I was first starting my company. And I will say that when it comes to assets, you could summarize all of these in that you either have cash or you have time. And when I would talk to somebody, uh, you know, and I'm consulting somebody, it's like, where are your assets? Are you time rich? Or are you cash rich? And if you're neither time rich or cash rich, you need to revisit your priorities because you either need to make the money available or you need to make the time available. And sometimes the best thing you can do to help your writing is to get a part-time job. If you're unemployed right now and it's like you're really struggling, bring in some money, go deliver some pizzas <laughs> and you have that cash that you can u- then use in these other areas. And so you can develop assets to help you with your writing with non-writing activities. And yeah, it's maybe not glamorous, but it's, it's money and that money is very useful. And when you're, you know, hand to mouth, it can be really hard to build those long-term assets, right? Like a website is a long-term asset. You build a website today, tomorrow it does you no good, right? No one knows about your website. You're going to have to, you know, spread the word and rank on Google and all of these things take time. But if you build a popular website that has people coming to it every day, that's an asset, but it's a long-term asset. And if you're hungry, it's really hard to have that long-term mindset to build these assets. And this really true with all of these, whether it's a YouTube following or, um, positive relationships, right? You're not going to make good relationships with people overnight, right? You have to invest in that relationship. You have to give before you can get. You have to bless other people before they're going to bless you back. And to have that mindset, you have to have a long-term time horizon. And uh, it helps to not be too hungry when you do that. Speaking of time horizons, uh, Jim, tell us about our uh, featured patron. So our featured patron for this episode of the Novel Marketing Podcast is comes from Lauren Lynch, and she has written a series called the Time Drifter Series. You get to explore ancient civilizations from a Christian worldview in the historical fantasy Time Drifter Series. And she also says that this is appropriate for all ages. So maybe grab a copy, read it to your kids or have your kids read it to you. There you go. And when it comes to assets and liabilities, we'd love to hear what you think. This is not a comprehensive list. What are some assets that we forgot to mention? What are some liabilities that we forgot to mention? Go to novelmarketing.com forward slash 142. Leave us a comment. We'd love to hear uh, from you uh, on this episode. And our sponsor for this episode is the Rubart Writing Academy. The very popular and often sold out <laughs> Rubart Writing Academy is coming again. Uh, Jim, tell us about that. Yeah, it is. Um, so Taylor and I have decided we we have chosen our next dates for our next Rubart Writing Academy. It's going to be October 25th through the 28th. And if you are at the point where you just go, I want to get published, I want a specific 
customized roadmap for me of what I need to do. We would love to have you come. Now, Taylor and I have done three of these things. And what we've realized, because you learn, right, as you as you do these things, what we have learned is this academy is so much more than the writing. And it's hard to kind of talk about yourself, but I'll just say that our students are saying, guys, this is life altering. This is so life changing. This is about so much more than the writing. We went so into depth about identity and who we are as people and how we can step out from behind our fears and step out of the shadows and step into this. You gave us the confidence and the boldness and, and energized us in ways that we've never been energized before. And I, and I guess, Thomas, that's what's so fun for Taylor and I is to see these students going, oh my gosh, now I can do it. Yes, I have the tools. Yes, I understand craft and motivation and the business side and the marketing branding side. But even more than that, now I know, now I have the confidence to step into this journey. So anyway, all that being said, October 25th through the 28th, we do limit it to nine people. So if you are interested, I would encourage you to go to Rubart writingacademy.com and you can find out all the details there on the October Academy. If you want hands-on help reducing your liabilities and building assets with only eight other students, this is one of the most in, like <laughs> uh, intimate uh, writing events that you're going to find anywhere. Most writing events are much bigger. Yeah. And that's the other cool thing we found out about this. We do it in a home. We don't do it in a hotel. We, we want some place that is intimate. And we want a place where you can build relationships with other writers. And at this last Academy in May, it was so cool. Taylor and I came into the the room at one point and they go, all right, we've already formed our Facebook group and we're getting, we're sharing pictures and all this kind of stuff. So you, you really walk out of there, not just with the knowledge, not just with the confidence, not just with the roadmap, but you will walk out of there with relationships. Uh, I'm thinking you'll probably have for the rest of your life. You have been listening to James L. Rubart and Thomas Umstead Jr. on the Novel Marketing Podcast, giving you novel ideas on how to promote yourself and your writing offline, online, and everywhere in between. Thanks for listening.